open your copy of the Bible with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're continuing our study verse by verse through uh, this book of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5 will be in verses 19 through 22 this morning. You know, oftentimes before committing uh, to make decisions in life, we will take a, a, a brief pause to examine or to test something. You know, think about major decisions in life. For example, uh, marriage. You don't just go up and invite a total stranger into a lifelong relationship. No, you spend a time of, of courtship and a time of engagement prior to the wedding to see if perhaps there is compatibility there or not. Or if you're going to buy a new home, they'll have a home inspection take place because you want to make sure that structurally and mechanically everything is the way it should be before committing to that decision. Or buying a car, you test drive it, you kick the tires, and all of these type of things. And even in smaller decisions in life, you go to the grocery store and you're going to buy some, some fruit, what do you do? You, you pick it up, you give it the eyeball test, you, you squeeze it, you thump it. You want to make sure you're making the right decision before committing to something. If we take that much pain and that much effort into testing and examining these things, then why do we lack in testing for something as important as preaching? Just because somebody is on the radio or on the television, just because they've got an impressive voice or personality or appearance, just because what they're saying what they're saying with a lot of enthusiasm does not necessarily mean what they are saying is legit. I think this morning we're going to look at this text and it's going to show us that after close inspection of what is being taught, what is being said, we should wholeheartedly accept that which we determine is true and we should outright reject that which is proven to be false. But before accepting and before rejecting, there should be a, a time of examination, a time of testing before we make a decision one way or the other. Let me invite you to stand with me if you are able to this morning. As we read from God's holy word, starting at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, and these words were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. And he writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray together. Father, as we enter into this time of study and reflection on your word, Father, we do so with the conviction that this is the very Word of God. This is God-breathed Scripture. Therefore, it is true, it is trustworthy, it is authoritative, and it is powerful. It is life-changing. It is eternal by nature. And Father, I pray that as we read and as we study these words that we will submit to what is written. And I pray, Father, as I preach what is here, I, I pray that I will preach it with integrity. I pray that I will preach it in a way that is, that is true, in a way that is, that is appropriate and proper. 
And Father, I pray that as the Word is preached, and as the Spirit is here, and as He is moving, that He will touch our hearts, bring us into conformity to Your will and to the image of Christ. Heavenly Father, if there be one here today that does not know Jesus in a saving way, in a personal way, I pray, God, through the power of Your Spirit, Father, through the conviction of sin, and through the hope of the gospel that they will be born again before it is too late, before they must stand before you in judgment. Father, take this time and use it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <coughs> as, we're working our, our, as we are working our way through this book of the Bible, we have found ourselves in a section where Paul is challenging the church to conduct itself in a way that pleases God. And along the way, he has been giving corporate responsibilities. He has been giving one after the other in this chapter commands for the church to follow. And today we're going to find five exhortations. There are two negative things. Don't do these things. And there are three positive things. Do these things. And as we look at these exhortations, these are all second-person plural, which we've said along the way, this is a way of saying, you, you all, y'all, as a corporate community, as a, as a body of believers, as a church, all of us have a responsibility to do these things. And not only are they second person plural, these are present tense imperatives. That means these are commands that we are to continue doing. Not just something, well, you do it once and you're done. It's like when you tell your kids, throw those socks in the laundry room. Once they do that, it's done. The command is finished. But when you tell your children, behave, that's ongoing. That's not, well, behave just right now and down the road you can misbehave all you want. No, it's, it's ongoing. And when Paul issues these commands to the church, he says, I want all of you all to keep on doing these things. And what is Paul calling the church to do? First of all, we must embrace the works of the Spirit. Embrace the works of the Spirit. And here we have the two negative exhortations, two things we are not to do as a church. And we sum it up like this. Do not be cynical of the works of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, he says, Do not quench the Spirit. And from that we might say, Do not extinguish His ministry. As the Holy Spirit is moving and the Holy Spirit is desiring uh, to work in the life of a church, we must not quench the Spirit. Now the word quench means extinguish. It has the, the idea of putting a fire out. You know, you go camping and you have a campfire and, and before you leave, you, you, you throw water on it. You throw dirt on it. Whatever you got to do, you, got, you want to put it out. You want to keep it burning. And Paul says, don't do that to the Holy Spirit. Don't put out, quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is oftentimes symbolized with fire because of the power and the energy and the heat and what the Holy Spirit can do. 
Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, to understand what he's talking about here, it, it helps if we have an, an idea of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We know from the Bible uh, about the Holy Spirit, His personality. He is a person, not a thing. He's not like the Force in Star Wars where there's just this vague energy to be manipulated. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. Paul says here, do not quench the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You can only grieve a person. You cannot grieve electricity. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He is a person. We also learn not only about his personality in Scripture, we learn about his deity, the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is God. We also learn about his ministry. There are certain things, there are works, there are activities that the Holy Spirit is doing. His desire to work in the church is to exalt Christ and to edify or build up the church, to strengthen the faith of believers. And Paul says, do not quench, do not extinguish the works, the ministry of the Holy Spirit as He is desiring to move within your life and within the life of the congregation. Now the question we might ask is, how do we do that? What do we do to quench the Holy Spirit? Because Paul says, don't do that. Well, any type of sin, a sinful activity, a sinful attitude, any type of sin, anything contrary to the will of God will extinguish, will quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Anything that blocks or hinders the activity of the Holy Spirit, as He is desiring to conform us to the will of God, to the image of Christ, anything that gets in the way of that is quenching the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, don't do this. Do not extinguish His ministry. And then in verse 20, he gives a little bit further insight into this command of not quenching the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, he says... Do not despise prophetic utterances. In other words, do not eliminate His message. One of the activities of the Holy Spirit is to relay the will of God, the, the message of God. The Holy Spirit, as we have seen before, has inspired the Bible. And as we come to the Bible, we are hearing the words of God. And Paul says, one of the things that we can do to quench the Holy Spirit, is despising what the Spirit has to say. The word despise there means to treat with content or to reject. That means, you know, for example, to treat with content, that means you do it, but you don't like to do it. I pay my taxes. I don't like to do it, but I do it. You know, that, that's treating it with content. That's despising it every step of the process. But you do it anyway. We despise prophecy by allowing it to happen but not really enjoying it. Well, it is happening. Not really appreciating what it's there for. Or we can also despise something by rejecting it. You might despise paying taxes so much that you say, I just ain't going to do it. No, you'll have to suffer the consequences because Uncle Sam will find out and you will have to pony up. 
But if you despise it so much, you can outright just reject something. And so we can despise prophecy by saying, well, we'll allow it to happen, but I don't really like it that much. Or we can say, I just, I just refuse to let it happen. I just won't participate. Paul says, do not despise prophetic utterances, which the thing we want to ask now was, what is prophetic utterances? What is, what is prophecy? When we hear prophecy, the first thing we think of, well, somebody is telling the future. Somebody is predicting something that's going to happen. And if somebody predicts something accurately, we say, wow, they, they must be a prophet. And, and in the Scriptures, there is a part of that. There is an aspect of foretelling in prophecy in Scripture, in both the Old and the New Testaments. But more often than not, prophecy in the Bible is foretelling. It's telling forth the Word of God. It is declaring what God is saying. We've been studying the book of Amos on Sunday nights, and Amos was a prophet, and God sent him on a mission, and God gave him a message, and he would say, Thus saith the Lord. He would declare to his audience, Well, here's what I'm about to tell you, and this isn't my opinion. This is from God. Thus saith the Lord. A prophet is a, a spokesperson, a mouthpiece for someone else. And so a, a, a biblical prophet is one who declares a message from God. And as such, if it is from God, the messenger has no right to, to change or adapt the message. I'm just the, I'm just the spokesperson. I'm just the messenger. And also, if it is from God, then it must bear his authority as well. As the prophet says, Thus saith the Lord, the audience is obligated and responsible to listen and obey if it is a word from God. Now in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, I said there are those who received brand new, fresh revelation from God and they declared it to the people of God. Now once the Bible was completed, once the Bible was finished, we no longer have that aspect of prophecy, but what we do have is a, is a recording of prophecy. It's written down for us so that we, don't know, we no longer need to have a new word from God. We've got everything we need to know, everything that God wants us to know about himself, about his plans for us as his people, everything we need to know to have a relationship with God, it's all been declared. It's all been spoken. And so prophecy for us today is found in the declaration of what God has said in the Bible. We would refer to that as preaching. An authoritative proclamation of what God has said and God's expectations for us to listen and obey what God has said. One of the ways in which we can despise Prophecy, according to this, is for the man of God who is called to preach God's word to fail to faithfully proclaim God's word. One of the ways in which prophecy is despised in the church today is God called men refusing to preach what this book says. Of saying, well, I'm just going to preach politics or I'm going to preach psychology, or I'm going to preach pop culture, because these are things people want to hear. When the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. 
And so that's what preaching is. And so one of the ways prophecy is despised in the church today is men not preaching what this book says. Not being faithful to the intended message of the book. Preach the word. A failure to do that on the part of preachers, but also there is a failure also on the part of congregations to submit. Despising prophetic utterances and say, you know what, this whole preaching thing, I, I just... I don't really care for it too much. You know, it, it just it's so condescending uh, for a man to stand there and tell me this is what I need to think, this, this is the way I'm supposed to act, I just don't like it that much. And, and some despise it to the point and say, well, I'll, I'll tolerate it because that's just what we do, like paying the taxes. It's just a, a necessary evil. Or some rejected the point of saying, I just don't believe in it. I just don't believe anyone can stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, and expect me to have to follow it. I just refuse to even be there and listen to it. And Paul says, literally, prophecy you all don't despise. Because when we do, the Spirit, we quench. It all comes down to an understanding, first of all, of a doctrine of God. We have a God who is real, a God who, who desires to make Himself known, and He has revealed Himself through the pages of Scripture, which leads us to the doctrine of inspiration. Through the Holy Spirit, God has declared to the authors, this is my intended will, for you, this is what I want you to write. This is the, 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 the idea I want you to communicate. And the authors wrote that from God. And therefore, if it is from God, it must be inerrant. It must be true. It must be faithful and trustworthy. And it must be authoritative. And if God has given us a word, don't you think it's, it's something important that we are supposed to know? And therefore, the preacher is supposed to declare what God has said. And that is our understanding of preaching. A man being a spokesperson, a mouthpiece declaring a message from God. But you know, despising preaching is not something new. In the book of Amos, chapter 2, verse 12, God says to the nation of Israel, I sent you prophets, but you told them, don't prophesy. In other words, I sent you spokesmen to, to declare my will, my intentions to you, but you told them, shut up. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 9, the prophet says, you know, I knew my message would not be received very well by my audience, and so I tried to hold it back. I tried to keep it inside. But the prophet said, the more I kept the Word of God inside, it became like a fire in my bones. And I couldn't contain it anymore. Interesting that the prophet referred to the message from God as a fire, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. It is God's Spirit who puts the message in the book. It is God's Spirit who calls a man to declare what the book has to say. It is God's Spirit who provides power to what is being declared. So we must embrace the works of the spirits by not extinguishing his ministry in a, in a general sense. Anything the Spirit desires to do, we shouldn't block or hinder that. 
in a general sense, but in a specific sense, we hinder the work of the Spirit when we despise prophecy, when we despise authoritative proclamation of God's Word. Embracing the works of the Spirit. Then we come to verse 22 and 21 and 22, and we find the balance to what Paul just said. Well, we don't want to quench the Spirit. We don't want to despise prophecy. So that means anytime someone comes with a, with a word from God, that means we just need to accept it and embrace it, right? Paul says, no, I, I want to balance what I just said here. I don't want you to reject prophecy until you first do this. Verse 21, we know these verses are linked because he says, but... He says, don't do these things. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecy. But, on the other hand, do this. We must examine the works of the Spirit first. Before making a decision one way or the other, we must examine the works of the Spirit, at least those who are claiming to have a word, claiming to be Spirit-led. Verse 21 says we must apply tests. In other words, don't be gullible to every claim from someone saying, well, this is a word from God. I am spirit-led in doing this. Look at me, I'm impressive. Look at me, I'm saying what I'm saying with a lot of enthusiasm. It must be true. Paul says, examine, verse 21, everything. Literally, test or prove, approve it. It's like before you take a, a drink of that milk, you, you're not quite sure about it. You, you twist the lid off, and what do you do? You, you sniff it. <laughs> I'm not about to drink this, because that's a, that's a big commitment until I know it's good or not, and so you sniff it. And if it's approved, if it passes the test, then yes, I will drink the milk. But if it stinks, you say, no, I'm rejecting it. Paul says, do that when it comes to preaching. We must apply certain tests. He says, examine, test, approve everything. Everything. Well, he's talking about specifically prophecy, and so testing, examining prophecy is definitely part of this. But he says, it's not just the message we need to test. You need to test the messenger. Make sure what he's saying is right, but make sure his character is right. Make sure his behavior is proper. In other words, testing everything, examining everything, means you are placing the preacher or the teacher underneath the microscope a spiritual lens and you are testing, you are approving. Just because a man might be one of your favorite preachers doesn't mean everything he says is 100% true. You've got to test what he's saying. That includes me. In, in, in telling you all to do this, I, I'm making my, my task a lot more difficult. So you would think I would say, well, just take everything I say at face value because, hey, I'm Brother Todd. No test. What's he saying? 
You know, I want to believe what he's saying, but I'm not going to buy it hook, line, and sinker until I know what he's saying is right, until I know what he's saying is a word from God. How do we know that? We examine carefully. And Paul doesn't give us here specific tests. But when we take the Bible as a whole, we examine everything, and we examine the work of God throughout history and even now today, there are several things that we might apply to test and examine prophecy and examine the messenger. We might consider this with the idea of mathematics. You know, I hate math with a passion, but there are some times where math is good. And here's one of them. Several tests for examining the works of the Spirit. First of all, question we ask, does it add to Scripture? Is what this fellow or what this group saying to me, is it adding something to the Bible that's not really there? Is it, is it leading me to the authority of, of another book or another set of writings? Or is it leading me also to the authority of an organization or a group alongside or even above what the Bible has to say? Is there authority found elsewhere outside God's Word? That's test one. Does it add to Scripture? Second question, does it subtract from the Savior? Does it subtract from the Savior? Is it de-emphasizing Jesus and His person and His work? Is someone denying the humanity of Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Word made flesh. And apparently in the New Testament, in the book of 1 John, John is dealing with that very heresy in the church. of saying there are some that are preaching because Jesus is God, it's impossible for Him to be fully man. Is it rejecting, subtracting the humanity of Jesus? But even more so today, we're dealing with groups that deny the deity of Jesus. That say, well, Jesus was a man, but he wasn't really God. He was a created being, but he's not God, the Son. Is what being said and what being taught subtracting from the Savior? It's a red flag. Thirdly, does it multiply for salvation? In other words, is it teaching you you need to do a, a list of things in order to be saved? So yes, you need faith. You need faith plus obedience to our group. You need faith plus these list of requirements. They multiply all you need to do to be saved. Besides saying it's faith in Christ alone multiplying the requirements for salvation. But also it could be considered multiplying in the sense of trying to, to, to proselytize or, or multiply the followers of the group. And we, we look sometimes at, at cults and sometimes false religions and they're very eager to go out and knock on doors and they're very... Uh, they're very desirous of reaching new converts. And we say, wow, why can't we have that kind of desire and that kind of motive? You know why they are so motivated to do that? Because their salvation depends on it. 
because their higher authority says unless you turn in a list of a, a, a quota of how many doors you've knocked on, of how many pamphlets you've distributed, if you're not meeting these quotas, you don't have any hope of salvation. I had a group come a few weeks ago and on a Saturday morning and knock on our door. You know, I, I'm polite with them and let them go through their spiel and then they try to offer me their, their, their material and I say, hey, unless you take what I have to offer you, I'm not going to take what you have to offer me. And that ends the discussion because they're not allowed to read anything that's not pre-approved by their higher authorities. And so they left. And two days later, I'm pumping gas there at Kroger Gas and I hear this voice turn around look and there's this lady coming to me with this pamphlet in her hand it's the same lady that knocked on my door two days earlier she says excuse me sir I want to know if I can offer you this I said I said hey you came by my house a couple of days ago and she said oh I did and I said yeah you know Stoner Ephesus Road Ephesus Baptist Church and the pastor <laughs> she said oh that's right and she said okay well have a good day and she turned around and walked away because she knew I wasn't going to buy into that multiplication for salvation fourth test does it divide from the saints does it divide from the saints are they trying to separate the sheep from the rest of the herd because a lot of these groups will say well if you're part of us you can't have anything to do with those folks over there you can't participate in their holidays. You can't participate in their activities. You've got to stand out. You've got to be different. You've got to be one of us. And the enemy's tactic is what? Divide and conquer. Because they know if they can separate the sheep from the herd, they're more vulnerable. And any kind of doctrine that seeks to divide the true saints from the other saints is something we need to reject. So we must apply certain tests to what's being said. Primarily, does it match up with this or not? And the only way you're going to know if what's being said matches up with this or not is if you open this and you examine this and then you take this as your lens, as your microscope, and then you examine what's being said and, who's being say and who is the one that's saying it. Examine everything carefully. Then after these tests are applied, Paul says in verse 21, hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to that which is good. What is good if it lines up? After being tested, as again, if, if the milk is good, drink it. It's good for you. It does a body good. Paul says, after examining if it's found to be good according to the will of God, according to the Word of God, hold fast to it. That means grab a hold of it and don't let go. Hold on for dear life. It's like when you're hugging on your loved ones and you, you grab on them and you squeeze. You don't want to let go. Paul says, if it's true, if it's good, do that. I said, well, I, I don't know this guy. I've never heard him before. He's not, he's not one of these TV preachers. He hasn't written all these books. But if he's preaching this, and if his life and his message is lining up with this, embrace it. It's true. It's trustworthy. It's authoritative. Submit to it. 
We must accept the truth, Paul says, and accept it wholeheartedly. When Paul says here, hold fast, it means don't let go. Holding on to an umbrella on a windy day, and it's tugging, it's pulling, and you're holding, you're just clinging on to it. It's good, hold on. But then he also says in verse 22, we must avoid traps. Traps. On the opposite end, hold fast to that which is good on this hand, but on the other hand, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain, literally, to distance yourself, to have nothing to do with it. This doesn't line up. This stinks. I ain't drinking it. This stinks. It doesn't match up with what the Bible has to say. I ain't buying it. I ain't listening to it. I ain't submitting to it. It's wrong. It's inaccurate. It's false. And Paul says, abstain from every form of evil. Every form, every type, every kind, every, every species. It takes on many different looks. Many different forms. And Paul says, have nothing to do with anything that doesn't line up. When the Spirit of God is there, the same Spirit that inspired these words, the same Spirit that lives within the heart of believers, the same Spirit that, that inspires powerful preaching, if it don't line up, the Holy Spirit, He's going to let you know. Something about this just doesn't seem right. This just seems fishy. You know, listen to the Spirit. Don't despise the works of the Spirit. But at the same time, if it's true and it lines up, Paul says, accept it. Don't quench the Spirit by despising what is true prophecy. Reject the bad stuff. But if it's true, embrace it. Embrace it. The Bible tells us Satan masquerades as an angel of light. There's a lot of deception out there. There's um, a lot of trickery out there. And Paul says, you need to examine what's being said. And after examination, make the decision. Accept it wholeheartedly or reject it wholeheartedly. There's no middle ground. It's like those folks who claim to say, you know what, I root for Kentucky and Louisville. You can't do it. No, no, no. No, pick a side. Pick a side and it's stand there. Paul says, hold fast to that which is good. That's, that's Kentucky. Hold fast to it. Abstain from the evil. That's Louisville. Drew, not a word. Laura ain't in here. She's in the nursery, so... Yeah, I'd say it to her, too. But what's being preached after you test it, make a decision, it's true, I submit to it, it's false... I reject it. And Paul says, as a covenant community, it is so important. It is so important that we know the will of God. And the will of God is found in the Word of God. And the Word of God is communicated by the man of God. And then the church of God has the responsibility. You all need to know this. And you need to test me. And test what's being said. And if it lines up, your responsibility, according to Paul, the command, hold fast to it. If it ain't right, if it ain't true, 
Abstain from it. Don't do it. You know the old saying, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Y'all ever heard that before? That, that, that means, you know, to get rid of the good and at the same time you mistakenly get rid of the bad. You know, you're supposed to keep the baby and get rid of the bathwater, but you accidentally get rid of both. Did a little research and the, the earliest known usage of that phrase came in the year 1512. So it's been around for over 500 years. And the, and the way the origin goes was this, was back in the day they didn't have indoor plumbing and so you had the one bathtub, you filled it with water and the whole family had to use it. And you started with the, with the father first, he went first, then mom went after that and then you went down from the, the oldest to the youngest and they all shared the same bath water and by the end you can imagine the bath water is pretty, pretty dirty, pretty disgusting. In fact, it was so bad you couldn't even see through it to see, hey, there's a little one in here and you think you're throwing out. Because remember, there's no plumbing. You can't just pull the drain. So you toss the bath water outside and then all the while, wait a minute, you know, there's little Johnny in there. It's a very disturbing mental picture. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. You want to keep the good stuff. You want, you want to get rid of the bad. You can't keep them both. You want to get rid of the bad. You don't want the filthy water sitting around in your house. You want to get rid of the filth, but you want to keep the baby. You want to keep what is good. And sometimes in churches, people go to one extreme or the other and say, I, I don't want this whole Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost stuff. No, 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 no. Nothing to do with that. And Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. He's real. He's alive. He's active. He has a desire. And he, wants to, he wants to fill this church with power and enthusiasm for the things of God. And one of the primary ways he does that is through the proclamation of the Word of God. Paul says, don't despise the work of the Spirit. Don't despise prophecy. But at the same time, don't put up with the junk either. Say, well, I, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, I'm going to reject something true, so I'll just accept it all. Or I'm just afraid I'll accept something wrong, so I'll just reject it all. Paul says, no. Church, you've got a responsibility. Test it. And if it passes, hold fast. If it fails, reject it. In life, I think we've all been guilty sometimes of making poor decisions when it comes to entering into relationships or, or making purchases because we didn't stop and investigate long enough. And the equation is this. No discernment equals disappointment. When we don't stop to examine things before we make choices, it always ends up painful. And Paul says when it comes to preaching and the works of the Spirit, God's people have the responsibility to examine the message and the messenger before making the decision to accept or reject. So after close inspection, wholeheartedly accept that which is proven to be true and then completely reject anything that doesn't measure up. Let's pray together.